Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right. So tonight we are going to talk about all sorts of stuff, but we are going to start with a story and a reading, and I'm not going to make you guys meditate tonight because it's just too late. Um, but I thought, when I thought about asking Jerry on the meetup, I thought, what will we talk about? And I thought, how do you talk about everything? Everything in the whole world, that is what we need to talk about. But the one thing that comes to mind when I think about Jerry Halpin, who is, um, was my triathlon coach, was the kick in the pants I needed at the right moment, and is now a dear friend, um, and whose official job is a technology transformation consultant which I had to ask him what he actually did for a living today. But Jerry is what I like to call the main participant in my spark moment, which happened 10 years ago. Many of you are here because you know about that moment. I won't relive it. But all of us, some of us have that person who was at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. It depends on how you look at it. And um, yeah, that that was Jerry for me. I walked into a spinning class in 2009 and he was at the front of the room leading the class and um, it all went downhill from there. (laughs) But I did want to tell you, I first want to read this passage I came, I found. And this is Oprah's Wisdom of Sundays, the super soul stuff. But this really goes hand in hand to... I think our conversation tonight, let me add these people, sorry. All right, the key to realizing a dream is to focus not on success, but on service. Ask yourself, what are the gifts and talents you can share to raise the collective consciousness of all that you encounter? Making that shift from self to service will bring an immeasurable amount of fulfillment to your job, your relationships, and the vision you have of your own life. When your personality comes fully to serve the energy of its soul is what Gary Zukoff calls authentic power. Sorry, I have to keep admitting people. Fulfilling your purpose with meaning is what gives you that powerful spark of energy unique only to you. The result is an electrifying current of clarity rising from the deepest part of yourself. By tapping into that source, you will no longer feel 
like a salmon swimming upstream. Instead, people will finally see the highest, truest version of you and stand in awe, wondering how you achieved your dreams. Now that's a little bit of broad speak right there, but I liked the idea that Jerry, 10 years, 12 years ago, however long, was sitting in, fr in front of a spinning class serving a group of maniacal triathletes <laughs> and a little fat, sad uh, lawyer, mom of two, wandered in and he was there serving this class and inspiring people. And I am forever grateful because he continued to serve me for a long time. <laughs> and teaching me to become a triathlete. And one of the greatest acts of service, I'll tell this story and then I'll actually let Jerry speak. Um, but it was the first time I had, let's see, I had been coached by Jerry for a few months. I was heading out to do my first Olympic distance triathlon in May. This was April. And Jerry said, you need to go get a wetsuit. And I was like, what do I need a wetsuit for? And he said, well, you're going to have to get in, in the cold water. And I said, oh, okay. So I go to get a wetsuit and a woman who's about 47 pounds tries to put me into a wetsuit with her bare hands, which was one adventure in itself. But then we go to the lake with Jerry, Jason, my husband, and I go. And as we're getting on our wetsuits, my husband pulls my wetsuit from the rear and rips a hole in it, which was part one of my first open water swim experiences, thinking <laughs> get into the water and drown. And Jerry's like, it's fine. It won't drown you. And then he's like, come on, let's go swim. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But I was actually feeling really good about this first open water swim. Swimming was my jam. It was the one thing out of the triathlon things. I felt like, all right, I can do this. Um, I could not do it. I could not do it that day. And this was six weeks before my first Olympic triathlon. And the reason I couldn't do it was a lot of things. Um, but I had my first ever panic attack. And this man, Jerry, was in the water with me and my husband, who was somewhere, and, and they were looking at each other, like talking in silent man speak, like, she's going to drown today. And the other one's like, do you have insurance? She's going to drown today. You know, it was like this kind of conversation. But at the same time, Jerry got me safely 800 meters in a swim and out of the water. And then we walked and talked until I had calmed down. And I never forget, I will never forget in a million years what he said to me. He said, all you have to do is show up on race day, put one foot in front of the other and don't stop until you're done. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I, I think I can actually do this thing. And, and that was it. And I think, and I'll, I won't speak for Jerry, but I think his experience with coaching me was probably quite a journey too. Cause I really don't know if you ever coach someone quite as uncapable <laughs> in your life as me as a beginner triathlete but I'm so grateful that you you agreed to <laughs> well uh, first of all I have a slightly different memory of that day yeah, this is what uh, I wanted to yeah, hear what what my recollection of that day first of all uh, thank you for having me it's an honor to be a part of your community I uh, love what you're doing. I think now, maybe more than ever in our lifetimes, uh, the idea of connecting and sharing and being authentic, even when it's not comfortable to do so, is maybe more important now than ever. So thank you for that. But uh, on, on this day, uh, I do remember it very vividly because uh, Jason and I were not talking about insurance and, and she's going to drown. I focused 
on getting you safely out of that water with every molecule of my being <laughs> because my my professional <laughs> coaching light flashed before my eyes. Uh, what Meredith doesn't know is that I had a similar experience. Uh, I actually had the, the tremendous foresight uh, to decide to try to coach my wife, which if any of you have ever done anything with your significant other, um, it's about the dumbest decision that I've ever made in my life. But anyway, so my wife actually had a similar experience I won't repeat all of the things that she said to me when we were in the water, but uh, back to, to Meredith, I remember locking eyes and being as um, focused on conveying confidence to you. Meanwhile, I was petrified. So I was focusing everything on you're going to be fine. And by the way, I don't know how many folks out there have done triathlons or open water swimming, but I've been doing it for a while now, and I don't know a single person who's ever done that that has not had a panic attack at one time or another. So I remember telling you that this is just part of it, and you can do races and be fine. Hell, I saw uh, some professionals who had freak-out moments in the water. So, but yeah, I remember getting you back on terra firma and having a, 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 a small moment of silence as my heart rate was somewhere around 205, um, yeah. And my resting heart rate is about 40. So it was, uh, it was up there. I, I, in fact, I may have set a new record that day uh, right. for heart rate. So, um, no, but you know, I remember the day that you came in to spend class as well. Um, I've been teaching, God, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, but this is my 21st year of teaching spinning. Wow. Um, and it's one of the great joys of my life is to suffer together with a group of people on a bike. I mean, I can't say it any other way. There's something spiritual about it. But I remember you came in. I uh, remember that I could tell right away that you were an athlete. You didn't want to admit it to yourself, but I could tell that you were. I came to find out your background and it didn't surprise me in the least um, because you had this um, this ferocity in your eyes, but you didn't believe it yet in yourself, but I could see it. And, uh, I remember I thinking, just hungry, Jerry. I was just <laughs> yeah. Well, hungry. um, yeah, you were hungry. All right. You were hungry for things that food was never going to give you. And you just needed a, uh, a little bit of, uh, reflection back to you say, you know what? It's okay to put yourself out there. It's okay to try. It doesn't matter if you don't look like what you think a triathlete is supposed to look like just matters that your ass is on the saddle and you're working. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've never worked like, I, I don't think I've ever worked as hard as I did, did in your spin classes. I mean, yeah. when we moved away and I did a half Ironman without going to spin. I remember thinking, gosh, I've been riding my bike and I've been working really hard, but I'm just not in the same bike shape. And I think it was because I didn't have you screaming at me every Friday morning. Yeah. Well, let hold on. Hold on. Yeah, there was no screaming. I didn't, there was no screaming. Oh, right, no. I call it encouraging. It's, it's a slightly different interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> well, another story I talk about, especially in the book, is when I went, I decided to reach out to you and ask you if you would coach me. And at the time, I thought coaching meant how can you make me skinny? 
because everyone in the room was skinny and I was and my husband was like well you should you should email that spinning guy and see if he'll coach you and I was like he could make me skinny and so you know I, I messaged you and we we talked after that and you were like well you could do a triathlon and I was like why would I want to do that <laughs> and you said well you do know I'm a triathlon coach don't you I was like sure I knew that and why it really didn't occur to me that that's what you were about I'm not sure but um and you told me you said you could do a triathlon I see how hard you work in spinning class you could do one and I was like huh I don't I don't know why I would want to do that but okay and then I did like six weeks later I just went and found a random one did it it was terrible um but I do that and I call this like multi-level marketing for life because you like sold me that (laughs) I bought it and then I tell other people that too, because it's like anyone that says, oh, no, I can't do anything. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can. And I got that from you because you did that to me. Yeah, I'm sure you got that from many places in your life. I think um, the there's nothing that gives me joy more uh, as a coach than helping someone find what's within that they don't either see or they can't give themselves permission to embrace it's so fulfilling to to work with someone and watch that happen um and you know i've i've had my own coach uh several coaches actually in in my career and you know i never thought about being a triathlete until i was in my mid-30s i was that guy who couldn't swim 25 meters across a pool when i was 34 years old and uh, so I, I, I really believe this when I say it, if I can do it, there's not a single person who, who can't now, unless you have an injury that prevents you from, from swimming, but oh my God, uh, I had, I once had a coach tell me, you know, if I could take your effort and put it into a swimmer's body, we'd probably have an Olympian, <laughs> but unfortunately your, your, your legs, um, what did he say? He goes, you have effectively have two bricks tied to the bottoms of your ankles. So um, you're going to have a hard time swimming. And, you know, he's right. I did have a hard time swimming, but I, I persevered because I'm, I'm sort of crazy that way. Yeah. And one of the, one of the stories that comes to mind with your craziness. And so for those of you that don't know, Jerry is a Kona qualifier. He qualified in 2009, 2009, went to the big Island legitly not on a lottery or any other way, like legit did that, which blows my mind. Um, too bad I couldn't quite do that for you, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember that my husband and I were at Lake Lanier. We went up there to ride one day and I guess we were leaving or pulling in. I don't know. And, and I saw someone running that looked like they were weaving. And I thought, hey, Chase, that looks like Jerry. And he's like, well, should we pull over? I said, yeah, I think we should pull over. And so we pull over and here comes Jerry, like running like Mach 10, as fast as I've seen him, but also weaving like this. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, Jerry. And he comes over, (laughs) you come over to the car window and you lean on it and you are like out of it, completely out of it. And it was like, you knew, like you were like, I know you too, <laughs> but not, and then you just like put onto the pavement and laid down. And like, after I had a gel, I gave you water, like we resuscitated you and, and nothing was wrong except you had pushed yourself that hard. 
Yeah, my therapist, my therapist would tell you that uh, there's a lot of demons there. Um, and I spent most of my life, I think, uh, fighting them. This idea of fight or flight, my response is to fight them. And uh, my therapist, who I think is one of the most intuitive women I've ever met in my life, she goes, um, well, first of all, how's that working out for you? And, uh, and then secondly, how about you make friends with them? Let's try that for a while. So the last, I would say, five or six years of my life have been more about making friends with those demons. They still fuel me, I'm not gonna lie, but um, we often have uh, little chats and, and share a tea or a coffee instead of blocking swords, you know? How do you have that? How do you have that ability to drive yourself so hard that you mm. just like lose you're aware with all. I mean, I, I feel like I can push myself and I have, um, but I feel like you have always had that since I've known you had that ability to really go about six steps over the line. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything spectacular or amazing about, it. I think we each have that somewhere inside of us. The question is how do we manifest it? Some people are able to focus for, you know, like lasers at work. Other people can give kindness to animals or children on levels that others of us can't even contemplate. I don't know. I, 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 I think I, I find something spiritual and very cleansing about testing the body with the mind. And, and honestly, I'll say it, it's, it's 20 years of practice also. Uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, I think I was born with. It's more of the I don't know, about 10,000 hours that Gladwell might call it, but it's, it's definitely a few thousand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would say I've come out of every single one of those sessions, maybe a slightly better human. And by that, I mean, there's a humility that comes from pushing yourself to the level where you can't you're not sure if you can keep going. There's a there's a, a humility that you kind of understand deep in your heart, and and a thankfulness that you have the wherewithal to to do this. I don't know if you guys on the call, if if anyone else is like me, but how how do you handle it when you're sick or injured? Are you are you guys all good patients and you're very kind with all the people that love you and yeah, yeah no, um, <laughs> and so. <laughs> So I think it's it's also a coping mechanism, right? It's a way to to let out some of the uh, frustrations and and come out of it. I think in a, in a positive way. So I think other people channel it maybe in in what at least in our society might be construed to be not so positive a way, whether it's drugs or alcohol or you know any other kinds of behaviors like that. It's just an outlet. Yeah. All right. We've got a question. I think Carolyn, are you asking a question? I'm unmuting you, or did you accidentally raise your hand? <laughs> that happens. Okay, I'm muting you back. I'm lowering your hand. All right, but if anyone has a question, feel free to jump on. That's what this is for, so if you have any questions for Jerry. Um, one of the things I remember you telling me um, many times, I think in, in the last decade, was triathlon training, whatever the goal is, should be a positive stress not yeah. negative stress. And I have used that so many times with my clients and, and pe baby triathletes that I coach that 
travel and training, all that stuff should be a certain stress because you have to have a certain stress in order to grow. But that really stuck with me and it helped me make the transition out of triathlon when that was right for me because it was a giant negative stress. It was not necessarily the sport that was stressing me out, but it was like the, the role I had <laughs> crowned myself in the sport plus the, the drama around it. And I was like, I, this, is, this is not a positive stress anymore. So how have you kind of, how did you come to that conclusion and how were you able to use your, your training for a positive stressor? Cause you always had a really stressful job and family life and all that. So how, how was it, how did you kind of compartmentalize it? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that I had done it well for, for a long period of time. I think I learned through some, some bad uh, experiences. I think I, I learned where that line was. My wife can tell you when, and by the way, I, I qualified in 2009, but it took me five years of concentrated effort and more than 65,000 miles of training. I know because I kept every millimeter in a log, right? Um, but my wife would find me on the floor in the garage, curled up in a fetal position, crying after a bike. And, um, you know, one might say, well, that's, that's psychotic. That's stupid, right? That, that, that's not worth it. And, and I, I had to learn to back off that line a little bit, but, um, yeah, I feel like if I'm hearing from an athlete that I'm coaching or, or even just talking with that everything about the sport as they describe it as a negative, then it's time to think about why are you doing this? Because um, I think it was Nietzsche. I, I, I'm going to misattribute the quote if it's not him. So someone check me on this, but I think Nietzsche basically said, um, he said a man, but he meant everyone. A person with a why can withstand almost any what. So that why, that concept of a pilot light um, if that goes out, the little things start bothering you. And the, I, I call it the triathlon industrial complex. There's this sort of industry weight and, you know, these people that would run their grandmother over to climb three spots in their age group, you know, that, that, that kind of thing I don't think is, is healthy. And so when you, when that pilot light begins to flicker, one of two things, either find some more fuel to keep you going or move into something else that you feel jazzed about. Because, I mean, we're only on this earth for a short period of time. Doing something because you think you're supposed to be liking it, but you're not, is, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Suzanne asked, Meredith, can you talk about what drew you back to Jerry for coaching? Um, what drew me to him in the first place, back to him, back to him again, back to him again. And I, I mean, I honestly think, and this is, this is whether Jerry, he might not agree. I, I've had several coaches and I've had Jerry, I've had some other coaches. If I have a goal and I need to meet it and I have my why figured out, I will always pick up the phone and call Jerry first. And I will be like, will you coach me to this? And he will say, okay, or maybe not, but it's because Jerry he, when I came to him and I said, I would like to do an Ironman. Granted, I had only done a half. I had not, and I don't mean only, I just mean only because when you're talking about Ironman, you can say only a half. <laughs> um, I had done a half and it was in seven hours and 15 minutes, which is not fast. And in order to do an Ironman, you got to do it in 17 hours, which is usually like double and add an hour is like the formula. 
And, and this man did not blink. He said, yeah, you can do that. And I said, okay, well, I think I'm going to do Florida. And he's like, well, how many Ironmans are you going to do? And I said, one, one, only one. And he said, well, you should do a really hard one. <laughs> and I was like, aren't they all really hard? He's like, yeah, but I'm thinking more like Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But the type of coach that can look at me and know that I had a why, I had the fire, I had a work ethic, I had some limitations, but that can work with me in those, in that realm, who I am, what, what my challenges are, and tell me, yeah, you can go do this and mean it. <laughs> maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he was like this behind his back. Um, <laughs> but I will always go back to Jerry for that. And that's the kind of coach I try to be when, when someone comes to me, because that's all it takes to achieve. Now, I worked really hard, um, but that's really all it takes to achieve big, big, ugly, hairy goals is, is the mindset. And Jerry helped me have the mindset. When I was an Olympic weightlifter, I failed at mindset. I, my mindset took me so far and it, it, it tanked on me. I didn't have it. I was also 17, 18 at the time. Um, but Jerry helped take my mindset even further. And so I know that if I ever have a big goal and I go to him, that he will help me take my mind that distance. And so that would be why he will never be rid of me. <laughs> no, there, I, I think a uh, couple of things, there's a, a connection, right? Um, a, a trust level. And when you really trust someone, you tell them the truth. Uh, you may do it in a more kind, uh, gentle way than than if you if you don't care for the person. But there's a there's a level of accountability, and it's two way. This is the thing that I I really look for in, in a relationship with someone that I'm coaching. It's got to be two way accountability. It's got to be a, a a real honest, um, transparent exchange. Otherwise, pardon my language, but what the is the point, right? I mean, what, why it's just not worth it to waste time and energy doing something that, uh, you're not really putting yourself out there. Cause I don't know about you guys, but man, my biggest gains have come from taking on the, the biggest, hairiest challenges that I could think of. And, uh, and it's not always pretty. Um, but I, I want to come back to one thing, Meredith, and that is, this idea of a catalyst. So any chemistry majors out there? Anybody science, hard science major? Well, or, we can go bring Jason. Do you want him to come in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, um, this idea of, of a catalyst is this, this agent that speeds up a chemical reaction, but doesn't get consumed in the process. So that is the the materials, the raw materials are there all along. It's just use the term before Meredith spark, right? It's this, how do you catalyze that potential that's there? See, I find that to be fascinating and uh, frankly would, would love to spend the rest of my life figuring out how to catalyze human potential writ large. And then on the small scale, it's, it's a triathlete or it's, um, you know, a person who wants to qualify for Boston or, or a person who wants to do an obstacle course race and they've, they've never really done anything like that, right? So that concept resonates with me. And you also touched on a term earlier, service. 
you know, it's an honor and a privilege to serve someone in the pursuit of their goal. And man, does it feel good when, when that happens, when, when they get there. Um, I will admit, uh, Meredith has made me cry on about 12 occasions. Um, so when she says she reaches back out to me, usually it's laced with some uh, seven paragraph text uh, that makes me cry. So I, have to, I can't be driving because I'll run off the road. I have to set the phone down and I cry a little bit And because she usually tells me similar things we're talking about, about having such an impact in her life. And the truth of the matter is she's had as much, if not more of an impact in return and she doesn't want to believe that, but it's true. I taught you how to coach anyone. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I mean, did you hear what she said before? Olympic level weightlifter. <laughs> okay. You don't, you don't buy that at Walmart. You that work your ass translate off. to running. No, but it's, it translates into someone who has a long uh, term goal and has suffered greatly over a long period of time in pursuit of that goal. That's the essence of endurance sports. It's not about whether you can run or bike or swim. It's how bad do you want it? And can you stay in that frequency? Yeah. Some of the things that you've told me, uh, someone's got a question. Just text me the question if you want to, Go, or do you want to ask it? Just let me know. Um, one of the things you said, um, let me see. Oh, this was the single greatest cycling <laughs> piece of advice and you give it in your spinning class, but you say, where can you relax? Yeah. And when I was climbing the mountains in Coeur d'Alene <laughs> and I was going 6.8 miles an hour up the mountain, I was like, I'll get there. It'll be fine. It'll be there. It'll be fine. Um, if I go 6.8 the whole time, I will not get there, but there's a downhill somewhere. I know it's coming, but I remember you saying, where can you relax? And when you're on a bike and this, this applies to life too, what can you relax in order to be the most efficient with the rest of your body, the rest of your mind, the rest of your spirit? I carry that with me everywhere. On the bike, we tend to do this, you know, like tighten everything else. And you taught me in spin class, you should be like almost not even touching your handlebars and all the energies in your butt and your, your quads climbing the mountain, right? And so I have thought about that many times, you know, when I'm in the middle of something that's really hard, it's like, what, what can I relax so I can use the right energy? And how did you learn that? Was that something that you picked up from someone or was it the Jerry Halfen hard way? Hard and I, I think it was a lot of reading about uh, physiology and this idea of focused energy. Um, yeah. The two things that, that I came to learn both cerebrally and viscerally were number one, where can you relax? And number two, where is your mind? So if I could stay in the moment and not what in, in long distance sports is sort of the death knell, it's called projecting the pain forward, right? Like I'm at mile two of an Ironman bike and I have 110 miles to go. Oh my God, I'm not going to make this. I'm already sore. My back's hurting. I don't have enough. Did I take enough intake? You know, blah, 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 blah. And you just start spiraling versus, okay, I'm relaxed. My legs feel good. I, 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 mean, I know exactly what I'm doing. Thank you. Thank, that's the, other, the third, the sort of corollary is to say thank you out loud. I don't know if you remember that in race plans, Meredith, but this idea of, of, purposefully and audibly articulating gratitude. 
it's amazing how much energy that brings back. This little sticky, it says, yeah. yes, thank you. It's on <laughs> my computer because I read something somewhere that just whatever the day brings you, whatever the shit the universe throws at you, you should be like, yes, thank you. The answer is yes, thank you. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's, that's part of what you taught me too. Like be grateful the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Grateful for the pain, great purposeful suffering. <laughs> I know that term. Okay, so Pixel3 says he or she or they have a question. So I'm going to unmute. Pixel, you are unmuted. Or you are Sorry, gone. Meredith. It's, uh, it's Kristen. I didn't oh, realize hey. I didn't have a name. Um, <laughs> my fault. So let me see if I can articulate this correctly. But my question is about um, what you think about the vocabulary in triathlon. So a lot of people use the word athlete. And I know like Mel Yuri is a regular person. She has a regular job, but yet she's done Epic Five. She's done Uberman. So the people like me that haven't crossed that threshold of actually doing a triathlon, mm -hmm. I always feel like there's the people that are really good in solo sports that can that can pull that inner drive from within to push their goals. And then there's the people that need the outside resources and it's not always reasonable financially and time and all of those things. Like what are your thoughts on, on getting over that threshold and, and, and being okay and being comfortable with saying I am an athlete? Wow. That's a great question. Uh, I would say the sport of triathlon has very little to do with being an athlete. The sport of triathlon is just one sport of hundreds of ways of expressing that. And, and the term, I think the term athlete, particularly in the, the Western world, has a, a connotation of um, pride or swagger, right? Like I'm an athlete, right? And so-and-so is not an athlete, but I, look at me, I'm an athlete. I, that whole derogatory kind of shaming thing um, I find to be a phenomenal waste of, of time and energy. To me, <laughs> an athlete is anybody who wants to push their body with their minds. And that can take any form of expression. It could be lifting, it could be running, it could be biking, it could be chopping wood, it could be, you know what I mean? It, it, so, so triathlon is just one of many different forums for that. I will say, I think I used the term before, triathlon industrial complex, right? There's this whole um, aura about, especially as I got closer and closer to qualifying, I, I, I tuned into this more and more where these people were just psychotically driven to get that external validation. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, it, did you say your name's Aaron? I see pixel three. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. It's Kristen. Kristen. I'm sorry. Kristen. Um, it, this is the honest to God's truth. You know, when I finally qualified, I let go of that as my goal. So the year that I qualified, I did what I said before about being in the moment. And I honestly didn't care. Like I was happy that it happened, but it wasn't the definition of success. Right. And so, but that took me, that took me four years of, of basically buying into that whole bullshit of either 
you're an athlete and you qualify and you're this elite person or you don't and you're you're an also ran which is is it's anathema to what i really believe the essence of the sport tries to be which is pardon the pun tries to be which is get people active get them into things that where they engage with other human beings because there's something positive about being around other people challenging themselves there's just something delightful about that and and very human and so I don't know if I answered your question, Kristen, but yeah, I think athlete is a very broad term. Triathletes certainly don't have the corner of that market by any means. And I don't think you need to race in order to feel good about who you are as an athlete, not you personally, anyone, right? Right. No, you absolutely answered my question. Thank you. Because it's a, it's an internal motivator that I drive against. And then sometimes it tears me down because I'm like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I, I'm just a regular person. And so I struggle with that. To, to get my, to find my drive, if yeah, that makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, first of all, thanks for having the courage to ask that, because I think that that's probably more common than some people want to admit is this sort of fear, do I measure up? I remember Meredith, you know, there were times when I had to talk her off the ledge about, well, I can't do this. I'm not made like those other people. I'm not right. 120 pounds. And, Hashtag truth. I was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's okay. Um, you know, um, and I, she will tell you, I said, you know, I don't care about those other people. I don't care about your, this is what I said, you're putting this extra pressure and, and weight on your shoulders when you don't need it. It's like, you have every single bit of right to be out there competing as any elite professional triathlete does. And oh, by the way, that's one of the things I love about that sport is, the pros and the amateurs are all mixing it up on the same course on the same day, right? So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people have this sort of uh, fear of I don't, I don't measure up or I can't do that. And truth of the matter is, like I said before, if, if, if my junk in the trunk self who swims through the water like this, if I can learn how to somehow get through the water, then my God, anybody can, can do this sport. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Um, there was a question from Martha. She had asked, I'm, I lost my why last year. I'm still finding my way back. Can you talk about ways to find your why? Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I don't think anyone on this call would be honest if they said they never lost their why. So uh, that's a that's a common problem, actually, not an uncommon one. It may not be that much solace when you're in that space, but I certainly have lost my why before. And uh, the way to find it back, I think, is to, to use all of your faculties, that is your mind, your heart, your soul, and your body, and, and, and put some effort into, so what, what has made me most fulfilled as a human being? And you might need to take a break from physical activity, for example, which hard for someone like me to do, but I've had, I've learned that lesson before, you know, persistent injury. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, but I'm, I'm okay. So I'll just rest a day or two and then I'll go right back and actually go harder and, and make up for the lost time. And I end up re-injuring or, or extending it. So um, I think reading, meditating, talking to people that you trust and asking them, when you have seen me most happy or most fulfilled, 
what was I doing or, or what, what vibe was I putting off and listen to what they have to say, people that really care about you. And that'll help, I think, if not reignite the flame, it'll certainly uh, put a few sparks in the neighborhood. Well, and I think too, sorry, were you done? No, yeah, um, I think too that there is a time and a season for everything. And I know for me, the reason I was doing Ironman and the reason I was training so hard at the time, it was serving um, a special need in my life to compensate for the lack of health. Um, it was It was a compensatory effect of, allowing me to continue my bad behavior with drinking um, and to go, hey, look, I rode 100 miles. It doesn't matter that I drink three bottles of wine a night. <laughs> um, and so it was interesting when I quit drinking that I quit doing Ironman. Like I was like, this is dumb. Who wants to do this on a Saturday? I, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. And I think if you're honest with yourself, like what need, you know, if you came into triathlon with a certain need, like I did, which was just to find myself again. And then I started to define myself. You may not need it as much, you know, you may need it for different reasons. And so, and that's okay. You know, if you keep trying to find your why and your why says, eh, that's okay too. You know, um, to, to be honest with yourself about that, I think is, is really good because like you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to, to do a hundred miles on a bike right now. <laughs> I mean, you could. Like, I mean, Jerry could probably talk me into it. Um, Aaron, with that thought, when do you tell your athletes that they are runners? Wait, when do you tell your athletes they are runners, bikers, and swimmers? I've been running for over a year, and I struggle to call myself a runner, especially since I use the Galloway when I run. Hmm. I think this is in line with Kristen's question about defining athlete externally rather than internally. Same thing. Hey, um, <laughs> if you've ever raced a race to your full capacity, sometimes you go over the edge. Um, the fastest Ironman that I ever did was nine hours and 58 minutes. And the slowest Ironman that I ever did was 13 hours and 12 minutes. And the reason for that 13-12 is because at about mile 13 of the run, my right calf completely and utterly locked so badly that I almost, it was like someone had shot me. So I walked the second 13 miles. That was Coeur 2013. That was it my was. first. I remember seeing you walking and I, and I passed you and I started crying because you were walking. I was like, if he's walking, what is to come of me? <laughs> talk about, talk about humbling. Um, but, but my point is that the Galloway method is a phenomenal method that helps I mean, thousands and thousands of people be active. You're every bit a, a runner as any uh, Galen Rupp or, or any of the people that are running Olympic marathons are runners. So I'd say, call yourself a runner. Hell, get a tattoo and put it on your arm, runner. <laughs> and also don't poo poo Galloway because my no. Ironman run was Galloway. I did a 3-1, my fastest ever. My stubborn-ass husband, I coached him to Augusta two years ago. He's like one of those that believes you have to run things straight through, and that's worked out real well for him every other time. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, can you just experiment? Like, let's just experiment. Let's do a one-to-one. -one. You run as fast as you freaking want for a minute, and then you walk. And he ended up doing his fastest 70.3, did a sub six of 554 in Augusta doing Galloway. And it is like, it's remarkable. If you do it right and you really dial in your intervals, you will be a better runner than you will ever imagine. 
Totally agree with you, especially if you don't have um, a running background. It's a phenomenal way to get into that. And, and frankly, to add a lot of volume that your body may not be ready to do. But yeah, I, I would say I, I have several athletes that I've coached over the last 10 or 12 years that uh, didn't have a running background and used that method. It kept them from getting injured and they ended up with a better time than they would have. Yeah, yeah. So does anyone else have any questions? You've got an amazing resource right here, so feel free to ask. Um, what would you like to talk about, Jerry? I know you always have interesting stories. I'll give you the floor. What's going on? How's life? You know, I'm, I'm in an interesting place in my life. I have a daughter that's a sophomore at college and a daughter that's a junior in high school. So uh, my wife and I are getting ready to be empty nesters and are in that mode where we're wanting to uh, simplify things and minimize and so going through and shedding a lot of the weight of the the crap that you accumulate over you know 30 years of being together and uh, as a result of that as well as other things in my life I'm I'm spending a fair amount of time writing but uh, writing in journals but also uh, Meredith is going to laugh when I say this out loud partly to get out of my own way but I've been writing a book I've got things on my Yay! desk um, these three that's five the first hours. time you've admitted that no no uh, and and the reason I'm I'm finally getting out of my own way there is because back to the point about Meredith being as much an inspiration to me as she claims that I've been hers, that I see the reach that you can get and, and what I would call the asynchronous reach. That is, you can write some concepts down, people can read it in time and space where you're not connected with them necessarily, and it can have a profound impact. And so uh, I'm, Maybe it's because I'm nearing the end of my life. I don't know. Maybe you see all this gray, but um, I, I'm I want to I want to be able to impact people at scale. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure that I have anything interesting to say. And I'm trying to sometimes outwit myself and and be you know cleverer than I think I. Oh, uh, I know what you need. Hold on. Before I forget, I could probably tell you this offline, but this book, Derry, do you know this book, The War of Art? I have heard of it, but I have not read it. I, I like the, I like it already. The name. Okay, so you are talking about the resistance. So this is Stephen Pressfield. This is for anyone who wants to write a book or do something creative and they keep, it is short. It's, it's short and it's, it's got you know, it's, it's easy. You can read it in an afternoon, but it talks about the only thing we're fighting in our life is the resistance. And the resistance is the thing that says, I don't have anything interesting to say or mm -hmm. how, and you, it prevents you from writing. It prevents you. It's the resistance in this book, the war of art. It talks about how to win the war of art. And so everyone read this, but, um, sorry. I love it. Um, I, I have personally moved away from triathlon as well as, um, as a laboratory and have moved uh, into obstacle course racing. I don't know if there's any, anybody out there that has done any of that stuff, but oh my God is kicking my ass. Um, and my neighbors find it. I mean, you have to understand my two daughters. So part of my job is to embarrass my daughters. Right. I mean, that's kind of what you take on as a father, but uh, 
like I'll cut my grass with a weighted vest. Um, I have a box, a, a five gallon bucket of home from Home Depot with 70 pounds of rocks and I carry it up and down a, a hill in this park near my neighborhood and um, army crawl like 250 meters, um, you know, just doing stuff that, that I think is going to prepare me for those kinds of races. And whew, my body is, uh, is definitely feeling the difference between that linear motion of a triathlon where everything is in a straight line. Now I'm carrying, you know, uneven loads across uneven terrains. And, um, it's, it's, back to, I, I can't remember if it was Martha or someone who said they had lost their why. It's kind of reigniting a why in me around um, this idea of, of pursuit of a challenge, not because it's easy, but precisely because it's not easy. And um, I mean, I crawl off these fields and I look like a, a homeless man, but uh, there's a smile on my face because it's it's just something really pure about it. So I cut my grass in a weighted vest. On that note, we're going to go ask Ben a question. Ben, you are unmuted. Hey, Meredith and Jerry, thanks for, for letting me join in today. Um, Jerry, I had a question on the Galloway method. So I'm a big fan of Galloway. I really encourage folks who are starting to run to use it. Now, I'm a hypocrite because I've never used it. So I've done three fools. Um, but I was wondering at what point is there a, a diminishing return on the Galloway? Like, so I'll run my marathon at about 340 um, or high threes when I'm doing it in Ironman. Can you still get advantage from the Galloway even if you're running at those clips or faster? Yeah, Ben, I think the short answer is yes. Obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So I'd have to have a deeper conversation to understand some uh, some of the things about your physiology, maybe injury patterns and other things. But Jeff Galloway would tell you that um, absolutely. And one of the keys is about keeping your heart rate from spiking. And so this idea of, of a relatively more even heart rate pattern uh, it, that also impacts the longer the, the, that you run that way, it, it impacts your ability to metabolize calories. So I don't know about you, but I got to the point where I could tell you plus or minus one beat how, where I needed to be, where I could still digest calories. And I knew this from lots and lots and lots of hours out doing it. So when I qualified that year, I knew this. I, I even had it written out. I had a watch, but I had it written right here. 153 was the heart rate at which I could go my hardest, but not go so hard that I couldn't digest calories. So I think Galloway is part of its design is that it, it forces your heart rate to come back down a few beats. And so you relatively keep a lower one. And I don't know if you've had any issues digesting calories. I, I made every mistake you can make. The first one, I looked like I was four months pregnant at the start of the run. So I ran the entire marathon with the, you know, that slosh. Has anyone ever done that? Got that slosh where you're not, you're not digesting calories, just sitting there. So I learned that and it was painful. Um, but yeah, I would say back to Meredith's point, do some, experiments and try to be as objective as you can be because even in your language about it I think you were saying you know I think Galloway himself would say eh, I'm not so sure that's the right way to think about it um, it's more about and here's the key it may work for you to go faster that way but it may not so you just have to test it but you got to be honest with yourself about 
setting up an experiment, right? You're, you're in your own laboratory and I'm going to run a, a 15 mile run on a Saturday, the same run if the conditions are similar and, and do it without, and then, you know, see how it works for you. And Ben, I know Google like Galloway's um, actual method. Cause I feel he, he does this thing where he glides. So he never actually like slows down to walk it's like a glide into a walk and, and then he picks it up but I think his Olymp he qualified for the Olympics doing Galloway and I think he did a 20 second run 10 second walk so it's like a so I think the faster you go the the shorter they are and there's a there's a rhythm um but I, I feel like it was like 20 seconds 10 <laughs> is what he qualified yeah, I was going to say there, there, and there are varying um, intervals like you talked about. Yeah. And again, it's all about experimenting. Most people need about at least a minute for their heart rate to come down by at least five beats. And that's part of why he did that, I think. But yeah. um, some people's heart rate is much more responsive. Um, so, yeah, good question. Jerry, do hey, you have ben, a hard stop or can we go a little bit more? Um, you know me. I don't, I've never met a microphone I didn't like. So, Ben, <laughs> is that a Clemson Tiger shirt you got on there? Okay. That's right. I was just saying thanks, Jerry. I, I appreciate it, Meredith. Thank you. Okay. Um, question from Kelly. Why is it that while my coach sees me getting fitter in my stats, I don't feel it? I'm training for my first Ironman. Ooh. Yeah. Well, That's this why. is actually, well, I was say this is part of why why you have a coach, because we all have blind spots. And uh, you know, if you Sometimes if you listen to the voice inside your head, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell you uh, either positive things or it doesn't tell you the truth. And so I think that back to my point earlier about having a trust based relationship with a coach, you, you've got to, uh, you have to trust that they're going to tell you the, the right thing. And then sometimes at the, the time when you are least confident, you got to lean on that coach to say, you know, you're going to be okay. I've seen this before. Um, and if the coach can articulate back to you what you're really feeling deep in your heart, then let go of control, let the coach help you and get out of your own way. Yeah. That's, and that's so true because I mean, I called Jerry, I think I only freaked out like maybe three times, but they were pretty big, five, six, six perfect. Times. <laughs> per month, per week. Um, but I remember one in particular, I was out for like a 13 mile run and I sat down on a bench and started crying and I called you and you didn't answer the phone, which was a good thing. And then by the time you did talk to me, um, I kind of told you what happened and you said, look, race day is one thing. It is about moving forward with a purpose all day long. And I thought, huh, but when you really break down a race, when you're not racing, when you're not out there trying to qualify for Kona and, and you're just an average girl or guy and you're, you just want to finish, um, that is the truest, most honest advice ever that you can apply to race day. It is about continuing to move forward all day long at a pace that you can manage and then eating the snacks, especially Ironman. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. That was such good advice. Yeah, and I think back to the you don't see it, right? Um, you gotta you gotta break it down before it gets built back up. I would just caution, make sure that you have a very open conversation with your coach about rest, how much rest you're getting, and and uh, when that rest is coming. 
because you don't make gains until you actually get the rest. <laughs> and so maybe you need a little more rest so that when you come out of that rest, you have made some of those gains and you feel better. Cause I will say this, you know, 90% of this, uh, if not more is psychological about, do you trust where you are in your trajectory? So think about training as a trajectory, not a straight line. And are you on the right curve? Uh, and rest sometimes is exactly what you need. And, and ironically, it's when you feel like you can afford it the least is when you need it the most. Right. Because you're feeling so good because you're like, I'm putting in all these miles. I'm crazy. I haven't slept in a month. I'm... <laughs> it's like, whoa, time to sleep. <laughs> time to rest. Um, okay. Carolyn has a question. I trained and completed a half Ironman. It was exhausting. Would do a full. Is the training as exhausting but more? You know, that for me or Jerry, <laughs> we have different opinions. Probably. Yeah, I was just saying, I want to hear your opinion, then I'll give mine. Um, so it's interesting, like now that I've done the Ironmans I have, and now that I've coached for several years, um, if I have an average athlete like myself who um, is going to do an Ironman, and they say I want to do a 70.3, within eight months of that Ironman, I tell them no. Now, a lot of people will coach their athletes. So we're going to do the, this is the peak race. We're doing 70.3. We're going to rest. We're going to, and then we're going to do the Ironman. I don't do that for my athletes for one reason, because every half Ironman and finish line I have crossed, I've said, there's no way in hell I could do that again. Or <laughs> that is entirely too long. Or there's no way. There's just no way. And um, so I don't subject my athletes to that because I know Every time I've, I've done 70.3, I thought, I have thought, how in the hell did I ever do a full or there's no way. So, um, it's, it's, it's different beast. It's different paces. It's different. It's different everything. So the short answer is, um, would, is the training exhausting, but more, I don't think the training's as exhausting, but it's more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with that last statement. Um, I think, I think I have suffered more in half Ironmans than I have in fulls because you, you just physiologically cannot go that fast in an Ironman distance. Uh, you just simply don't have enough glycogen. Um, and uh, you don't have enough glycogen to go that far in a half, but you, you can get much closer to that red line. So yeah, I, I have, I've danced with my demons more in a half Ironman than I, than I think I did in, in the full, other than Kona. Kona was its own separate brand of hell. I mean, I, I, I just wouldn't have believed people when they told me about how hot and windy it was. I mean, it was like, it was like racing inside of a blast furnace is what it felt like. Um, yeah, it, Kona, I mean, it was a magical, mystical, uh, religious experience on some level. But I remember this very vividly at the top of Polini Drive. When you turn on the Queen K, you're at about mile, geez, uh, 12 or 10 or 11, 12, somewhere in there on the run. And there was a porta potty. And I don't know if anybody out on this call has been to Kona before, but they set these out a week in advance. Um, <laughs> not pretty, um, baking in 130 degree heat for a week. And these are all elite people, right? That come out there, they're pushing their bodies. And, and you know what I'm saying? I remember clearly climbing inside this thing and it was, 
it was as filthy as anything I've ever been in my life. And I was hurting so bad that I thought, you know what? I could sit here for a while. It's not that bad. That's how, how hot it was. So, but yeah, I think just because you struggle in a half doesn't mean that a full is double that struggle. It's actually more about how much can you dose your effort? Yes, the rides are longer. You can't fake a six hour bike. Um, and honestly, things like how does your pubic bone area handle being in the saddle that long? Um, do you have enough uh, chamois butter or, you know, think these are, if I'm working with a new athlete, it, your body's just not meant to sit on those bones for that long. Uh, getting used to that and then getting used to the idea of I'm going to dose my effort. Uh, I think th that's the hardest part of an Ironman. The actual uh, half is way more intense and, and, and more painful to me. I would agree on that. I would agree on that. Okay. Um, did that answer your question, Carolyn? Okay. Yes. Thank you. It was good. Great. You're welcome. Um, Tanya or Tanya, any tips on heart rate? I'm just starting out and I'm way out of shape and my heart rate spikes at almost nothing. Yes. This is the gold. Listen to Jerry. Listen, everyone. This is one of the most difficult things to, to actually follow. But I'm really glad. Is it Tanya? I think it's Tanya because I think Tanya. I called her Tanya once and okay, then I got sorry. it wrong. Tanya, thank you very much for asking this because I think this is one of the most important things to get right in, in endurance sports. <laughs> Patience is more than a virtue. Um, if you do not slow down to the point that you're, you can have adaptation happen at the cellular level, you're never going to reach your potential. So what the hell did I just say? That means if you if you can only walk a 20 minute pace to keep your heart rate down at the beginning, that's what you need to be doing. I worked with an athlete who was an 800 meter runner in college. He couldn't run a five mile run without blowing up. And the reason for that is he had, his anaerobic engine was off the charts. His aerobic engine sucked. And so, he needed to develop his aerobic engine. Now, luckily for me, he trusted me. So he ran 12 minute miles, which that may not sound like it's super fast uh, or super slow, depending on your relative thing. But to understand he ran division one track, 800 meters. To ask a guy like that to run a 12 minute mile, he looked at me like I had five heads. I said, Chris, trust me. If you believe that I know what I'm doing, we're going to work from 12 and it'll come down to 11 and it'll come down to 10. It'll come down to nine. It'll come down to eight. And he believed me. And over a six week period back to Ben, back to your point, he, we had a test, we had a lab area where we ran the same three mile run over and over again. And the first time he ran it at 12 minute pace to keep his heart rate below the threshold that we were trying to manage. And it, it drove him crazy. Old ladies with walkers were going by him in his mind, right? And uh, all of his buddies are like, dude, what are you doing? There's no way you're going to get faster running 12-minute miles. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. All you're doing is teaching your body how to run slow. Well, guess what? He adapted at the cellular level. He got more and more efficient. 
and eventually he was running half Ironmans and then full Ironmans at a sub nine pace. So to go from a 12 minute mile on an easy run to a sub nine pace for an Ironman is that's significant. But if he didn't do that first six week block of, of humble pie, I called it, he would never have gotten there. Yeah. So the point is, it's not about 12 minutes. I don't care what the time is. You just have to find that threshold and stay below it, low zone two, until you adapt. And if you need sense? to know like what low zone two is in, in my book, like there's a whole section. I know most of you probably have it since you're on this call, but if not, um, there's an article online that Jerry wrote that I put on my blog I can send you to. But when I went, did Marine Corps marathon as a pusher, I contacted Jerry to help me out. And he was like, well, here we go again, marathon training. How long has it been since you've done your heart rate training? I'm like, oh yeah, I've been all over that. And so I think we did some testing and he said, okay, so, and I was scheduled to go to the Cayman Islands to run a half marathon because someone was sending me there. And he said, okay, so I'm going to need you to stay below 125 beats on your heart rate. And I was like, okay, I could not run at 125 beats at that point in the Cayman sun. So I ended up walking at that half marathon because it was not about finishing at any pace it was about adapting and using that three hours and 15 minutes I think it took me to to get that those changes but like Jerry says if you stick to that and you really you have a coach who will dial you into that it it takes longer for super beginners I'll tell you that it takes us longer but once you get it it you adapt a lot quicker like if I started training right now I would adapt a lot quicker than I did back in 2011 I yeah. think it's real yeah. stuff, science. Yeah, for sure. And it takes discipline and humility. And uh, this is the thing, back to our other conversations about what is an athlete and, um, you know, should I be ashamed if I'm walk running all that? I'll say all the time to athletes, you know what? You're doing a time trial and you just so happen to have a couple hundred other people doing a time trial at the same time that you're doing it. But it's you against you. You're not... You're not racing anybody else. You're just racing yourself. And man, when it, when it starts to click and you feel, holy shit, I'm now running X percent faster at the same heart rate. It's like, um, it's a, it's a rush of endorphins because it, you built that you did. And there's something deep and sustaining about something that you build yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I want to add too is when you're starting out, it's really, really hard to, to do the running outside in front of the people. It's hard to do things in front of other people. I felt the first spinning class I walked into, I mean, Jerry's like, I remember you. I'm like, yeah, I bet you did, you know, but it's like, you, you feel like everyone is looking at you, but really the truth of the matter is no one's paying any attention. <laughs> Everyone's too worried about themselves. And so just go run outside. Just go. Don't, don't let that stop you. That's my biggest advice because no one really cares deep down. Agreed. They don't. They don't. Well, does anyone have any more questions? This, you, this is the longest I've gone with anyone, Jerry. You and I could just be like, well, this is an Ironman edition. We're in eight, hour eight. Yeah. What's everyone doing? There are Snap people cover? laying down on the side of the road. <laughs> well, from the very, very bottom of my heart, I am grateful to you, Jerry, I am grateful for everything that you have ever said to me, all of it, um, and and just for the way that 
what you've meant to me in my life. I am so grateful for you. And I know everyone else that has read my book and known about the blog knows, feels like they know you and feels the same. So thank you. You're trying to make me cry again. I'm going to see if I can do it live. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm not going to cry. Yes, yeah. you will. I, cry, Jerry, cry. No. Listen, the, it's very humbling to, uh, to talk about stuff like that. I, I, I'm an extrovert. I don't know if there's other extroverts on the call, but I get energy from this. So uh, forget sleeping tonight. I'm going to probably be doing push-ups and writing a book because I get so energized from this. Yes, but, write your book. Yeah. Thank you for for inviting me. Thank you all for participating. And um, I'm I'm really happy to be a part of this community that you've built. So thank you, Meredith. And if anyone has any follow-up questions, do you care if they shoot you an email or? Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. Ghalfin at gmail.com. Happy to help. Um, I'm not sure if I can answer your question, but if I can't, I can certainly direct you to, uh, to much smarter people than me that could probably get you that answer. I'm willing to share all the scars. I mean, you can see a face like this. I got a lot of scars. I'm willing to share any and all of that with you if it helps you. So yeah, feel free to reach out. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, tomorrow's meetup is with Myrna Valerio, the ultra runner. Um, she's got such an interesting story. That's at noon tomorrow, Eastern time. So I hope you can join us. And Jerry, maybe we can come back. You can come back and visit us sometime. Yeah, I, I would love to. Thanks, guys. All Have right, a good thanks. evening. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.